What's up everybody, GenX Dividend Investor here. In this video I share 7 dividend aristocrats that I calculated cheaper than their intrinsic values and which includes multiple stocks that I'm currently long in. At the end of this video I'll explain something I've shared in previous videos, which is how stock prices follow earnings and gravitate towards intrinsic value, which to me is actually the most important takeaway. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, then please show your support by hitting the thumbs up button, subscribing if you haven't yet, and clicking that bell notification. Now I did my last cheap dividend stocks video almost 6 months ago, so I figured it was time to do another, and this time I decided to focus on aristocrats. Of course, cheap is a somewhat subjective term. I mean, some people might think of cheap as being 25% under intrinsic value, so as you watch this video you can use whatever lens makes sense for you. And if you're impatient then jump to the timestamp on screen for the first stock. But before diving into things, I recommend you pause this video, then follow at GenXDividend on Twitter, and then come back and finish watching this video. The reason I say that is highlighted by this exchange I just had on X regarding British American Tobacco's dividend history. I tweeted saying, For you BTI folks, here's the ADR dividend announcement payable tomorrow on August 23rd. Its net payout should be $0.729 per share versus the last payout of $0.719 per share. I then included the screenshot from Citi, which showed the finalized payout details of BTI's ADR dividends. ADRs, aka American Depository Receipts, offer US investors a liquid way to purchase stock in overseas companies that would not otherwise be available to them, and are a form of indirect ownership of foreign stocks. They're certificates issued by a US institution like a bank that represents shares in foreign stock. So in this case BTI's headquarters are in Great Britain, and so Citi acts as an intermediary that actually holds the underlying security, usually in an overseas branch of theirs. These securities are priced and traded in dollars and cleared through U.S. settlement systems. That all being said, owning international stocks may open up investors to increased taxation, depending on a slew of factors. Like oftentimes foreign countries will withhold taxes on dividends they pay out, which means your payout is less than would otherwise be. But you can usually claw back those foreign withholdings when you file your taxes. Anyways, I posted that ADR screenshot because every quarter BTI's payout often changes by a lot, depending on the currency between Great British Pounds and US Dollars. And in fact, a follower of mine named Krishna Maximalist on Twitter responded to my tweet by asking if the change between BTI's normal payout and their final ADR payout reflected the conversion rate, and the answer is yes. He was wondering because he thought that their current payout per share was closer to 70 cents per dollar. And so I responded back to him telling him about the trend of payouts so he could see what I mean. Like it was 73 cents per share per quarter for this payout, but looking at previous quarterly payouts we see the following prices, 72 cents per share per quarter, then 67 cents, then 64, 66, 68, 73, 72, and the numbers keep jumping around. Then I also explained that even though the US payout per share per quarter has fluctuated so much due to currency changes, the amount paid out in Britain using their currency has only increased or gone sideways, like normal dividend aristocrats do in the US. My point is that I use all my social media to try to help people become more educated to dividends and to positively influence their financial futures, so I recommend you follow me on Twitter at GenXDividend so that you can continue to increase your exposure to solid dividend content. Okay, now to the stocks in this video, which I'll be sharing in alphabetical order by company name. And note, I'm not doing stock analysis in this, as then I'd be looking at revenue trends and income trends, debt trends, etc, and that would lead to a much longer video. Instead I'll just share some metrics, and before you invest you should obviously do rigorous due diligence. And cheap doesn't mean good, it just means that I think it's cheap, which also doesn't mean it's objectively cheap. I mean, I guarantee there are countless people out there that'll disagree. Also, I warn you not to invest just because you see some tickers in a YouTuber's video. 
The reality is that any stock could literally fall 90% or whatever tomorrow, and me estimating that a stock is underpriced does not mean it will go up in the future. A lot of investing is about getting the majority of your investing thesis right, not getting all of them right. And with that we hit the first aristocrat in the list, which is 3M, ticker MMM, an industrials company with a slew of products you'd probably recognize, including post-it notes, scotch tape, and ace bandages, along with owning over 100,000 patents. My estimated intrinsic value price for 3M is $135, which is almost 30% above where it is today, as compared to analysts' one-year price target of $115, which is almost 11% higher than it is today. 3M has a high 5.76% yield, a 66% payout ratio, a low 2.65% five-year dividend CAGR, and an amazing 64 consecutive years of dividend increases. 3M has been hammered down due to a variety of lawsuits and potential lawsuits. In fact, this week it agreed to pay $6 billion to settle lawsuits from U.S. service members who say they experienced hearing loss or other serious injuries after using faulty earplugs made by the company. The settlement, consisting of $5 billion in cash and $1 billion in 3M stock, will be made in payments that will run through 2029. There were something like 260,000 lawsuits brought by military service members against them, and this issue isn't behind them yet. Plus, that doesn't appear to be their only legal trouble, as there are some lawsuits issues with their respirators, as well as there are some lawsuits related to them using PFAS chemicals in some of their products. Specifically, 3M is dealing with a large settlement around PFASs that got into drinking water and therefore may have harmed some communities. And on top of all that, there may also be a risk of PFASs in a slew of other areas, including in certain brands of tampons, umbrellas, non-stick pans, jackets, tents, carpets, shampoos, dental flosses, etc. Thus, some people are concerned that their legal issues are just beginning, while others are hopeful that their latest lawsuits are the worst and are mostly behind them. That being said, companies have lawsuits all the time, many of which don't materially hurt them for very long, and most I personally don't concern myself about. My longer term subscribers know that I got out of 3M due to my concerns about the materialness of these various lawsuits and potential lawsuits, and that's something I almost have never done before in my life. I fortunately got out before it got hammered too badly, but that doesn't mean you should sell now, nor does it mean you shouldn't buy right now. The reality is that some of the best times to get into quality stocks is when they've been battered down. So do you think that 3M is going to be able to weather these lawsuits and potentially other ones incoming? Or will they get lawsuited more and more to the point that they won't be flourishing relative to other investments you could have made instead? I don't know the answer to that, but that's part of the beauty of investing. One person's treasure is another person's trash. The next dividend aristocrat that I calculate is cheaper than its intrinsic value is one I'm long in and that's Chevron, ticker CVX, an energy oil and gas company. My estimated intrinsic value price for CVX is $185, which is about 15% above where it is today, as compared to analysts' one-year price target of $181, which is about 13% higher than it is today. But it is very challenging to accurately estimate an oil and gas company's future because they are highly dependent on the price of crude, something that is almost impossible to accurately predict. Plus, Chevron is only down 15% from its all-time high, which has happened within the last 12 months to put things in perspective. And it has tripled in less than four years from where it was at the low of the pandemic crash. The reality is that oil and gas industries have a lot of complexity around pricing and profits, to the point that investing is often easier when there is a material correction, which in my experience is highly likely to happen again. So even though I calculate that Chevron is undervalued relative to their intrinsic value, I think its overall risk merits caution. I also know that timing the market and waiting for a crash rarely pays off, and did a video called Buying Dividend Stocks on Sale versus Market Timing, explaining why I believe that buying when something is on sale is different than timing the market, even though on the surface those things might sound equivalent. 
Anyways, Chevron has a low 2.77% yield, a 36% payout ratio, a decent 6.03% five-year dividend CAGR, and an awesome 35 consecutive years of dividend increases, which is quite rare for an oil and gas company, considering many suspended or cut their dividends when things got bad a few years ago. A big question you need to ask yourself is if you think energy companies like Chevron have a bright future, or if they're in a dying industry, and if dying, then how many puffs on that proverbial cigar do you think you can take? For decades people have been saying that it's the end of gas companies, and yet for decades the world keeps using more oil and gas. But are we finally at a real inflection point, where the focus on renewable energy materially changes things? Will oil and gas companies face debilitating litigation risk to climate change? Those are questions which you should probably think about when you're debating investing into oil. But also realize that about 7.5% of my portfolio is currently in Chevron and Exxon, so I've got my biases, even though I try to put those aside in these videos. And of course, no one truly knows what the future will bring. I mean, take a look at these articles on Seeking Alpha. Here's one published yesterday where the author is advocating to sell Chevron. And here's one from last week saying hold, and one saying strong buy. I love reading through the articles and comments that investors leave because it's great to hear other people's opinions, all of which can give you new insights whether they're bulls or bears or are neutral. Energy and gas has historically been very cyclical, with lots of market forces causing supply and demand to wax and wane, which often leads to companies like Chevron getting pushed up or down. The Chevron bears are concerned with a variety of things, like that the Permian Basin, which is an area known for oil production in the southwest United States, may not produce as much oil as is hoped for. Or the bears might complain that their Tengiz operation, or however it's pronounced, won't produce like is hoped. Some feel like Chevron's cash position isn't as robust as they'd like, and they wonder if the dividend is sustainable at the company's current spending levels. But on the other side are the bulls who like their recent performance beating various Wall Street expectations. The bulls argue that Chevron is one of the best-run energy companies out there and is making the right changes to continue to perform. Now, I wouldn't be buying oil companies into my kids' portfolios, but I'm fine staying long in mine, and bottom line, you got to figure out what makes sense for you. And that's one reason why going with ETFs over individual stocks is so much easier. Okay, let's move on. The next dividend or risk rat that I calculate is cheaper than its intrinsic value is Chubb, ticker CB, a property and casualty insurance company. My estimated intrinsic value price for Chubb is $230, which is about 15% above where it is today, as compared to analyst's one-year price target of $247, which is about 23% higher than it is today. Chubb has a low 1.71% yield, a 20% payout ratio, a low 3.21% five-year dividend CAGR, and an excellent 30 consecutive years of dividend increases, which is top-notch against most other insurance companies. Interestingly, I could only find bulls for Chubb on Seeking Alpha looking back over a year, which doesn't mean it's a sure thing, it just means there isn't a lot of negative sentiment. So what things should concern you about Chubb? Well, one thing might be its PE being higher than its sector average, kind of like its price to book is higher. Maybe you could complain about its most recent miss on gap EPS estimates. Or maybe greater than expected insurance payouts are disconcerting to you. I mean, if we see a trend of increasing catastrophic events, then companies like Chubb may find it more challenging to flourish. But its reinsurance business is profitable, its net premiums are rising, revenue growth has looked good globally, and they have a combined ratio of 83.4%, and a healthy combined ratio in insurance sectors is generally considered to be in the range of 75% to 90%. The combined ratio is a metric for evaluating the profitability and financial health of an insurance company, where you divide the total sum of incurred losses and expenses by the earned premium. There is an inverse relationship between the ratio and profitability. A combined ratio under 100% indicates that the company is profiting, while one that's over 100% indicates the company is losing money on underwriting. 
And note, combined ratios don't take into account profits from investments or other sources, though Chubb also had better than expected investment income, so overall it's looking solid to me. Okay, let's move on. The next dividend at risk graph that I calculate is cheaper than its intrinsic value is another I'm long in and that's ExxonMobil, ticker XOM. And of course, many of the things I said about oil and Chevron also apply to Exxon. My estimated intrinsic value price for XOM is 130 bucks, which is about 19% above where it is today, as compared to analyst's one-year price target of 120 bucks, which is about 10% higher than it is today. Exxon has a decent 3.33% yield, a 29% payout ratio, a low 2.74% five-year dividend CAGR, but an incredible 40 consecutive years of dividend increases. Now I say decent yield because relative to the SP500 it's good, but relative to where Exxon's been in the past it's not so good. I mean, take a look at Exxon's dividend yield history on Seeking Alpha. This shows us that we're probably around average yield levels, which can mean it's a decent price, but not a great one, like it was around the start of the pandemic. But it's almost impossible to find yields at those levels. And like Chevron, many people would shy away from Exxon because it's so close to its all-time highs. So you gotta figure out if it's worth the risk for you. Like I'm long, but I don't think oil companies are going to be stellar performers in my portfolio, but I do bet that they'll pay me the income that I need. I'd probably want an even larger margin of safety if I was going to invest in it from scratch, but I'm financially pretty conservative. Moving on, next in the list we come to my wife's favorite company, and that's Realty Income, ticker O. Realty Income is known for triple net leases, which are commercial leases where the lessee pays rent and utilities, as well as property insurance, maintenance, and taxes. They have a great balance sheet, especially compared to other similar REITs, and they manage over 13,000 properties and are known for having quality tenants, which usually means more ability to pay, but also lower cap rates. A cap rate is basically your anticipated annual return on an investment. Riskier tenants often pay more rent, but can also have higher risk of not paying. My estimated intrinsic value price for O is 66 bucks, which is about 17% above where it is today, as compared to analyst's one-year price target of $69, which is about 22% higher than it is today. O has a great 5.43% yield, a low 3.73% five-year dividend CAGR, and an awesome 28 consecutive years of dividend increases. A key reason why O has been hammered down is due to rising interest rates, which leads to concerns about their ability to acquire new real estate, along with concerns about their ability to pay down existing real estate, and high rates leads to concerns about existing clients potentially defaulting. I like DCAing into O when it's under 60 bucks, and so I like these prices, but it's important to understand that it's possible for them to see even more downward pressure from here. Bottom line, O was at a rough time since the pandemic hit. I mean, it got nailed like almost all stocks, and then was recovering nicely, but then as inflation reared its ugly head, it got whacked again, and it's at a point today where it was seven years ago, which I see as an opportunity. O has been an incredible long-term buy, but like most things, you want to invest when things are cheap to really see good returns. Like if I put Realty Income into Portfolio Visualizer and go back to 2002, which is as far back as it has data, then you see O outperforms VTI, which is amazing. So the point being that there will always be times when certain stocks underperform and times when good stocks outperform. I personally still like the long-term aspect of non-office-based commercial real estate that Realty Income owns, so I'm not worried about these last few years where it has had some harder times. Anyways, as its price drops, its yield looks more attractive, but it's competing with other assets these days like bonds and even cash. I anticipate that interest rates will eventually get back to the desired Fed 2% rate, and at that point we'll probably see treasuries dipping into less exciting levels, making O more compelling again. If you do want to invest in O, I recommend that you look at how they organize some of their contracts with their customers. Many have CPI adjustments in place, along with min-max amounts. 
So when inflation is more normal, then things usually remain smooth for O. If inflation gets low, rates are low, and O is often in better shape. But if inflation gets too high, then O has more issues. Of course, as rates shoot up, that makes borrowing less attractive, and debt acquisitions are a key way that REIT companies like Realty Income grow, though issuing shares is another option. And speaking of growth, another challenge Realty Income faces is that they're so big it takes a lot to move their needle. But they still have a lot of expansion opportunities around the world. I gotta say, I really love owning real estate without having to deal with customers or maintenance or whatever. Okay, let's move on. The next cheap dividend stock is Walgreens Boots Alliance, ticker WBA, a retail drugstore chain which also has an international presence. My estimated intrinsic value price for WBA is $33, which is 37% higher than it is today and is quite similar to analyst one-year estimates. WBA has a high 7.63% yield, a 47% payout ratio, a low 3.2% five-year dividend CAGR, and 46 consecutive years of dividend increases. But the stock has been nailed in the last eight years and faces a lot of headwinds today. They've been dealing with spendy opioid settlements, with some payments extending out for over a decade. And they have competition from a variety of places, including CVS, Walmart, and Costco, as well as from online pharmacies like Amazon and Mark Cuban's Cost Plus Drugs. So they're struggling a bit and looking to find new revenue streams, and so they're providing or are partnering to provide primary care physicians, which should be a nice knit new draw of customers and revenue potential. I mean, think how handy it would be to go to a physical brick-and-mortar drugstore, but also be able to get doctor care there. WBA spent big bucks on large acquisitions, including Village MD and Carecentrics, and have offloaded some assets to counter the debt from those deals. But their cash flow has been sputtering, leading some to concern that the dividend is in jeopardy, though others forecast that next year or two it'll be much better. Bottom line, WBA isn't a flourishing business yet, but the question is if it's something you think is worth risking your money in. I mean, are you getting in on the ground floor on something that might be turning a corner? Or is WBA going to meander along and sputter? Would you be jumping in to catch a falling knife by investing now? Or are you getting in strategically while others run for the hills, and in 2025 and beyond is when you'll be celebrating? And that's for you to figure out. Moving on, the last stock in my list is Altria, which is actually not a dividend or risk crap, but a dividend king, so I decided to include it in this list. My estimated intrinsic value price for MO is $60, which is materially higher than it is today, as compared to analyst one-year price target of $46, which is only about 4% higher than it is today. Altria has a high 8.92% yield, a 76% payout ratio, which is high for most companies, but is in line with Altria's management team's target percentage. Altria has a decent 6.69% five-year dividend CAGR and have an amazing 53 consecutive years of dividend increases, assuming you count their time with Philip Morris like I do. So why are analysts much more bearish than I am? Well, one reason is because domestic cigarette volumes were down around 8% in the second quarter, leading to Altria's revenue trend being down almost 2%. That and the Jewel deal still leaves a bad taste in people's mouth. Plus, many big funds have walked away from tobacco stocks like Altria, all acting as more downward pressure on it. And heck, AI gets all the attention these days, and tobacco's boring and is yesterday's news, right? Plus, more and more regulations are hurting tobacco companies, so how much runway do they have left? That's a great question, and I remain long on Altria because I'm betting it's longer than people realize. Altria is trying to make better investments than Juul ended up being, and their latest acquisition into Enjoy should allow them to push faster into e-cigs and vaping products. Ammo is planning to increase Enjoy's distribution footprint from Altria's massive supply chain, which they believe will help their top and bottom lines. Now many people think smoking is dead money, but just last week Altria announced a 4.3% dividend hike, so they keep delivering more income for investors slow and steady. 
and their management team has felt confident enough in their financials that they bought back almost $500 million of stock in the first half of the year, and I'm guessing they'll buy another $500 million in the upcoming months. So while it's true that cigarette consumption is declining, Altria is making the right moves I'd want to see for them to stay relevant. That being said, Altria is a stock I don't have in my kids' portfolios, but is one I'm fine with as an income investor. Of course, some of you would never invest in a company that makes products you hate, and that's fine. You should invest as you see fit. I mean, some people don't invest in Lockheed Martin because it makes powerful weapons of war, while others invest specifically because they do that. Of course, I understand you not wanting to invest in something because it causes cancer, but I also understand people who invest because they might like the income, or because they support people's right to smoke, or whatever. I personally don't care what you do, as long as you invest and you have reasons for doing what you do. Okay, now let's move on and talk about intrinsic values. Here's a picture I made to show you how stock prices and intrinsic values usually work. I'll explain the pick in a moment, but it's important to understand that there are lots of ways to value a stock, and one of the good ones that you can usually use for dividend companies are discounted cash flows, aka DCFs. There are multiple videos on YouTube about discounted cash flows and calculating intrinsic values of companies if you feel so inclined. DCFs have some weaknesses, one of which is the fact that your results can vary dramatically depending on which input parameters you use, some of which can be subjective. So don't become overconfident in your estimates, and don't forget to look at relative valuations of competitors. And like anything with investing, using a variety of metrics and trends and data points usually gives you more insights rather than relying on just one, i.e. supplementing the DCF approach with other valuation approaches is often useful to develop a better understanding of the value of a stock. And since the focus of DCF analysis is long-term growth, it's not an appropriate tool for evaluating short-term potential. Okay, it's important to understand that regardless of what a stock's actual intrinsic value is, the market often overprices it or underprices it, but in the long run the market gets it right as stock prices trend back towards a company's actual intrinsic value. So I like to think of a stock's actual intrinsic value like it's gravity or it's a magnet as it's constantly pulling its stock price back to it. This was kind of summed up in Benjamin Graham's famous saying which was in the short run the market is a voting machine but in the long run it's a weighing machine. Voting represents how people are using their dollars to either buy or sell stock which is why a stock's price is often a popularity contest in the short run. However, in the long run the stock price trends towards its intrinsic value, which is analogous to saying that market forces slowly, but properly, price the stock, i.e. its real value is properly weighed and thus priced by the market. In the short term the gravity of intrinsic value can lose out to the more powerful forces like news headlines and world events and reddit warriors. The market often overreacts to good news or bad news, which value investors can then capitalize on. What I mean is that people often buy or sell based on emotion rather than on business fundamentals, which is why stock prices can do seemingly crazy things in the short term. But in the long term, gravity and physics and reality wins and stock prices trend towards actual intrinsic values, which are based on business fundamentals. That concept is super critical to understand if you want to be a good investor. It helps explain why certain things can be overpriced or underpriced for years, as stocks are popular or unpopular for years. But eventually business fundamentals win. If good growth comes, eventually the stock will respond. It can take a long time for people to forget about hated stocks or beloved stocks, but eventually they do if the company performs or doesn't perform. That's why you can see a crappy stock shoot up for a while, or a solid company trade in the dirt for a while. Your goal is to be able to identify when quality companies are cheap, and then buy if it makes sense to you. Or perhaps sell if things are too expensive, it all depends on you. Another gravity example I like is that dividend income is like the fuel or the thrust of your personal rocket, a rocket which is trying to break free from the gravity of your expenses. Once you have enough fuel and thrust, aka dividend income, 
to break free from the gravitational forces of your expenses, then you blast away from your old life on Earth, then you can fly away faster and faster into space with the freedom of your time. Okay, now back to the picture. The blue line is the intrinsic value, i.e. my target price, i.e. it's a magnet or it's gravity which is trying to pull the black line, which is stock prices, towards it. In this example, you can see an intrinsic value estimation that goes up and down as time goes on, and is slowly trending up like most quality companies tend to do over long periods of time. The black line, aka stock's price, tends to fluctuate wildly based on short-term news and headlines. The ideal time to buy a stock is when it's underpriced, which is represented as areas of red where the stock price fluctuates under its intrinsic value price. Now, if your strategy is to buy and hold for generations, then buying at any stock price can work out. It's just that your returns will be less than if you buy when something is on sale, and it can take materially longer to get a good return if you just invest whenever. Similarly, the best time to sell is when it's overpriced, which is any period on this graph along the areas of green, because those are all times when the stock price is higher than the intrinsic value. This example chart could represent 20 years or whatever of stock prices, so you need to understand that something could be underpriced for years or overpriced for years, but stocks eventually tend to drive towards real intrinsic values, which you can calculate with discounted cash flow calculations and sometimes by analyzing price to earning trends. Of course, a low P.E. ratio doesn't automatically mean a stock is undervalued, and a high P.E. ratio doesn't necessarily mean a company is overvalued. But a 15 P.E. is often a reasonable valuation for most, but not all companies. So as earnings go up, then stock prices tend to go up, broadly speaking. A conclusion you should draw from this picture is that the difference between a stock's current price and its estimated intrinsic value becomes your investing opportunity. Assuming you believe the intrinsic value is a good estimation, and those who do invest like that are known as value investors, since they are transacting based on some form of fundamental business analysis, which attempts to calculate a stock's intrinsic or book value. Book value and intrinsic value are two ways to measure the value of a company, and there are a number of differences between them, but basically book value is a measure of now, and an intrinsic value leverages forecasted estimates of the future. And don't day trade thinking you can guarantee a stock's movement based on any of this. I'm telling you where I think stock prices will trend over time, which is basically useless for day traders. Thus, this is meant for buy and hold investors. It also means that when I share stocks which I feel are undervalued, it means I think it will just be a matter of time until they revert back to their proper intrinsic value trend lines, though I have no real expectations of price movement in the short term. Okay, and now I'll end things with a shout out to my newest Patreon aristocrats who've just signed up. So thank you goes out to Mark M. And thank you to Uncle Mike 3076 who signed up for an entire year. Aristocrats get access to my dividend spreadsheet product that I use in many of my videos, and they gain access to multiple private channels on my dividend discord chat server, where I let my upper tier patreons watch my videos before I release them to the public, as well as let them vote on which thumbnails I use for my videos, and of course they get more direct access to me. I also add my Aristocrats to my scrolling news ticker, if I still have space on it. I'd also like to thank my all-star patreons, i.e. those supporters that have been signed up to my patreon for over a year and continue to stay on board. Thanks folks, I really appreciate your long-term support. Finally, I'd like to thank Seeking Alpha who sponsors me. I paid for their premium membership for years because I value their articles and associated comments so much, and these days I'd literally never buy or sell a stock without first reviewing what Seeking Alpha has on it. Whatever you do, please hit that thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. And I highly recommend that you join my free dividend discord chat server, which has over 10,000 dividend investors on it from 76 countries around the world. Thanks for watching, stay positive, and I'll talk to you again real soon. I am not a financial advisor and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I am only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.